Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. There, listen, Miss Kay, you, you're gonna be the expert podcaster. Oh, yes, sure. This is the way to do everything. Author podcast. My name is Dr. Jennifer Lowry, and I have the extreme pleasure of welcoming Kay Turner from Kay Turner today. Pretty dining tables spread with southern cooking are Kay's weaknesses. Creating memories and traditions for the next generation are her passion. She's an award-winning photographer, the former owner of a catering and party planning business, the past president of the International Women's Association in Busan, Korea. A Texan, she never imagined the expansive plans God had in mind for her when she traipsed around in foreign countries, meeting women, listening to their stories, and photographing them. Surviving an illness that almost took her life is an integral part of her Christian walk. She shares her journey of faith through laughter and tears to encourage others and to offer spiritual and emotional hope. Currently, she's busy writing her first novel and creating comfort foods for her new blog, kturnertoday.com. She resides in Fort Worth and takes delight in her grown son and daughter and a host of grandchildren. And you can follow her on Instagram and Facebook at Kay Turner Today. Welcome, Kay. Thank you. It's such a privilege to be with you. It's just an honor, and I appreciate the invitation so much. Well, Miss Kay, what do you mean? Like, I do believe we were destined to meet. (laughs) I think so. Because since we've met, you are just, one, an amazing, amazing communicator, Oh. When when you're messaging with me back and forth, there is no technology. There is just <laughs> me and you right on the screen that's gone away, and it's just like us talking. Isn't that fun? I'm so glad. Yes, I feel like I've known you a long time, and I hope that all the listeners know that I've been praying for them, and I think everyone out there is just, I'm just so honored to be with each of you. I wish I knew your stories. You're going to know mine, but... I would much rather listen to yours than tell you mine. (laughs) Well, and so that's the good thing about the podcast, like Uh, having just people, just, you know, writers, photographers, authors, cooks, everybody has a story to tell. Yes. And allowing this place to come for us just to celebrate each other and just to learn from each other. I think that is one of the most amazing things about technology. Now you and I can talk about all the silly parts about technology. <laughs> I have a few. And, I... and we can talk about maybe the last 10 minutes, <laughs> but, I mean, but I mean, but it's a medium for us to be able to reach people. Yes. Yes. 
and to boost them on and we get boosted on and it's cheerleading. It's a huge cheerleading squad. So it's just, you know, that's kind of where I fall in. I love to cheer people on. So that is a, a pleasure and an honor to be able to know people and do that. And you do it so very well. Oh, thank you. And you do it with such grace oh, my and poise. <laughs> and it's like when you send, okay, so I'm very just like down to earth, home. You know, I'm typing really fast. I'm in the middle of, of everything. And when I read your messages, my heart just sighs. Oh. And I go, that's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear Miss K right now. <laughs> Well, good. God kind of whispers in my ear sometimes as he does Mm -hmm. uh, all of those others out there. I mean, I'm certainly not alone. And to the listeners, I'm telling you, Jen does exaggerate. So just no, I don't. No, I don't. I'm telling the (laughs) truth. You know that you have been an encouragement for me and you have been cheerleading me about sweet potato Jones. You'll, You'll send me like these little encouraging notes about what's going on. So, yeah, you know you're doing it very well. I'm just well, letting you know you natural gift. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate hearing that. So tell us a little bit about you. Tell us more. Okay. Well, you gave a, a good rundown. I, I kind of listened to that, and I thought, is that really who I am? Uh, yes. But it was interesting, and um, I think that, If I were to go into that, we're going to probably take a sharp right turn because a lot, and I can do that later on, but I think that uh, what I would like to do is kind of, the reason why I say that is because in the bio, it said that this issue, health issue that I deal with, and I still deal with it, is an integral part of my Christian walk, and it is a little... um, a little lengthy, uh, not too lengthy, but I, I, if these are authors listening, I think I'd rather talk about the writing. <laughs> yes, of course. So tell it. So tell us what. Okay, so I love your website and your Instagram and your Facebook. You know, I am following them all. I know. I love seeing your name. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I read the story about your mom and your grandmother and you're having to learn how to cook because everything just appeared to be just so magical and easy. Yeah. Uh, No, no. Here's, here, here's who I am. I am very spontaneous, very impulsive, very, I jump on something. I think that's a good idea. I have no idea how to do it and how to execute it. But I jump on it. Other people plan and they go very methodical. No, I fly by the seat of my pants Mm -hmm. the whole time. And that's when I started writing. I had no clue. But didn't that make it thrilling and fun? It did at first. (laughs) Okay. I realized, oh, my goodness. I don't know anything. (laughs) Uh, So did you start with the cookbook or did you start? Oh, like where was your process? Like, where did you start? Okay. I will tell you, I'll tell you how it started because I am a first time writer and I know that there are some out there who have written many and some who have not written any. Mm -hmm. And I'm 
on the journey just beginning. But I had no experience, no training, but my friends on Facebook were curious about my post. They were full of adventures that God was taking me on and how my faith was being tested. They began urging me to write a book. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's out of the question as far as I was concerned. But <laughs> however, one weekend with nothing to do while I was living on an island, I attended a writer's workshop. Mm-hmm. It was like I stepped into a country uh, that spoke a foreign language. And when the word query was being tossed around like a big <laughs> ball, I knew I'd chosen the wrong activity that weekend. I had no idea what they were talking about. Right. I, and so I made a fast exit, as, as, and I was done as far as I was concerned. But a few months later, I began spending time with a friend who had been a fighter pilot in the Navy. And his ability to relay the adventures was very compelling. He was a wonderful storyteller. And he brought them to life so vividly that I began to think, those need to be in a book. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't interested in writing his own story. Uh, So, and people were still encouraging me to write. I continued to ignore them until one day a character popped into my head and I know those writers out there know what I'm talking about and it's called just I guess inspiration I mean you know it's a gift that you're given and this character appeared in my head complete with dialogue and she was talking and I knew I couldn't retain all of it so I grabbed a legal pad and I started scribbling when that was through, I had 12 pages of scribble, but I knew that it was to be in a book. And so I just said, okay, God, I guess I'll write a book. Now, did everybody that was encouraging before, did they have these applause moments in the, I told you so, I knew it was going to happen. Oh, I hear that uh, they're waiting for it to be published. I bet they are. But they're kind of giving up on me. They just don't know how long it's taken. I mean, they do know how long it's taken. Because I, uh, that began, that his, his stories and that character began what would be a very difficult and very challenging effort. And but the character's dialogue created a chapter that has hardly been touched. And it is my favorite chapter in the book. You think it's because it was your first introduction to no, the character? No, she just it was just loaded. It was just loaded with humor, character, personality, everything. She came in spades. And so I thought, this is so much fun. Now where am, what am I gonna do? So I thought, okay, how do I tell the pilot story? What a challenge. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you do that when you've never been in the Navy or or flown a plane? So I wrote the book, not once, but twice, and each from a different point of view. Both were epic fail, just totally. By your standards or did... Uh, by anybody's standards. Uh-huh. Now I look, but I did uh, get some advice from a creative writing instructor, and he told me how to write it better. And uh, but I, so I wrote it the second time. He never read that; it still wasn't ready. And then the third time, I stepped into the pilot's shoes and began telling it 
from his viewpoint. And that was a giant leap, which required a lot of education. But the protagonist became the narrator and it became real. And that became authentic. Right. um, When I began telling it from his viewpoint, uh, it was just, uh, you know, it changed totally. And And it flowed. It flowed, a love story unfolded, as did his experience of living and flying off an aircraft carrier amidst wartime. I, so it's required lots of research. I went to aircraft carriers. I walked the walk. And, oh, uh, listen, Miss Kay. Oh, honey. It, I will tell you, it's been a journey, but what a fun one now. I mean, it's like, it's getting there. You know, it's really getting close. So uh, that's it. That's how it started. And then I posting on Facebook that I was writing a book. Well, that was a few years ago. And, you know, they, they've all aged since then. <laughs> we all have. So it's fun. It's fun. Whether it ever, you know, gets published or however that process goes, I just have faith that this was a story. I've heard people say that when you have a story that just won't let go of you, Mm-hmm. You have to tell it. And to. that is what's happened, friends. <laughs> yep. And so Kay Turner, the author, is born. <laughs> That's it. That was the third thing when I did that, when I started writing it from that, I thought, oh, yes, he was the one who had to tell that story. And then I was able to wrap a love story into it. Uh, but I also, it's a book that really appeals to, uh, should appeal to both men and women and the military and, uh, you know, love story, hopeless romantics. So it has a lot of variation there. And so I want to say I admire your perseverance with it. Oh, because thanks. Because <laughs> what I have often heard, you know, that, I'm doing this, but I I just don't see myself going any further. I'm hitting a wall. And then writers will stop. And I'm like, no, don't stop. You've (laughs) got to push through it. You've got to jump over, you know, like the little engine that could. I think I can. Like, what was it that kept motivating you? Was it just the character? Was it just knowing how powerful the story was? Or was this something like the K determination? Like, you had to see it to the end. (laughs) It, it both because with that impulsiveness and spontane, uh, spontaneity, I am also a very uh, determined person and I persevere. I uh, always have. Mother said I did when I was very little. And so uh, quitting is not an option for mm-hmm. me. And when I knew, too, the messages that were coming to me in. It's, it's a Holy Spirit editor. Pardon me? It's like the Holy Spirit editor. Oh, yes. Yes, totally. Because God knows that I don't have any training. 
But if this is a story he wants told, he's going to find a way to do it. And that's right. And the doors will open that need to be opened. And it will, it'll be in its time. It'll be there. So tell me what was it for you with the process? Because I love research. So I want to hear like when you realized, okay, I've got to walk that carrier. I've got to research this aspect of this protagonist's life in a new way. Yes. Was it before you started that third book, that third journey, or was it while you were writing, you would take breaks and then go on adventure? Or how did you do that process? Um, it was actually after the second time, I went to California and I walked the aircraft carrier and I hung out and I wanted the feel of it. So it was before I started telling it from his viewpoint, very much before. Yes, actually uh, a few years before. And so I think it was between writing it the first time and the second time. And then, um, but when that still didn't flow properly and make it a very uh, engaging book, I changed it to read this way uh, just in this past year. So, and the trips to the aircraft carriers were a few years ago. So I've been doing the research and he is a wonderful um, advisor. He is my military advisor. And when you have a, someone like that, that you can lean on and say, well, how did this happen? And what did you do in this circumstances? And what did it smell like when you were in that room and all of that? I mean, I have drilled him. <laughs> oh, yes. But he's very, very cordial and very um, enjoy. He enjoys it. He loves he loves to tell the stories. And so, you know, he's a very wonderful um, advisor. So I, I think back, like, how long? So it took me 10 years for Sweet Potato to make it from my computer to an actual yes and publication. It oh. took 10 years. And oh. so. Here. Oh, did you say it, it kind of broke up? Did you say it was wonderful to hear that? Yes, because I think <laughs> we, other, other writers need to hear that. Yeah, I, I hid my work for a very long time. Uh-huh. Because of doubt or, you know, am I good enough? That whole measuring stick, you know, you are that, that whole. Oh, totally. Yep. And then I just felt God nudging me. No, now it's the time. Yes. And I went forward with it. And then when it was accepted and it was, you know, I'm not going to say it was the easiest thing. It was just, it was just good timing. It just yeah. works. It was meant to be. And everything yeah. started to fall into place. Yes. But then when I was in the editing stages last summer, I was like, okay, this has been 10 years going. Now uh I need to really look at it from today, making sure that, you know, these issues are just as relevant and how the way I wrote them 10 years ago, you know, can they fly realistically today? Oh, most definitely. I, yes, I agree. Mm -hmm. And so you had three, you said like three years maybe before, before actually like going out, experiencing some of the research and then sitting down and it flowing. Let me see. I think, no, I, okay. Let me back up. I started the book in 2013. 
I went to the first aircraft carrier in 2014, and I believe I, vi I visited two that year. That's when I visited them. And then I went back and wrote it from another point of view. And then that still didn't work as well. And, but there were times that I almost put it down for almost a year. You know, there were just health issues. There were moving. Life got, in, mm -hmm. you know, very full. And so when I picked it up again this past year, it was, uh, there had been a lot of layovers and a lot of breaks. I find it a very exhausting process. I don't know if other people find that. I have never talked to another writer, Jen, except you. Oh. This, this is my first writer to talk to. So you can imagine, I'm in a cave. Right. <laughs> Just and that's what happened to me for years and years because I'm from such a small town. Uh -huh. Like Maxton has 2,000 people in it. Oh. And that's where I was born and raised and spent most of my adult life. And so I had no mentors. I had no writers. No one had been published around me. And I was really cut off from book clubs. You know, oh. and just we didn't have any of that. Yes. Yeah. And then I move. Um, I follow my husband, I, I get remarried, and I move up to Raleigh area, and now I'm all of a sudden in the middle of this big city with all of these opportunities, oh. and writers, and I'm, you know, I'm talking to publisher, and I'm getting authors at my school to talk to kids, and I'm like, this is my dream, this is my dream, oh. and, I'm, and I'm holding it all in, so I know exactly, exactly how yeah. you feel. It was never my dream. I didn't plot my life. I just lived it. And so when I became a caterer and a party planner, it was because I had been so ill and I couldn't be around people and all of that. So I was able to kind of start being around people then. And then when um, I became a photographer, when we lived in Korea, I was taking pictures. And when I came back, I loved being a photographer. So I started a photography business. All of these were by the seat of my pants. And then I go in and get training a little bit, especially on photography. And it's such, it's, it's such beautiful work. Well, thank you. And on your website, you pick Thailand and Korea and you pick the women to yeah. showcase. And I want to say out of all the pictures, uh -huh. why them? Those particular ones were just put up there because um, they live in a tribe. Each one represents a different tribe. And, uh, well, no, they don't. Some of them are in the same tribe. But anyway, those ladies uh, are all in the part, uh, the northern part of Thailand, right next to Burma. And we hired a driver to take us all the way up to this very remote place. And each day we would go to a different village. And on one day we had to take an elephant ride <laughs> into the jungle. And oh, my God. And so I'm sitting on this elephant looking at my husband and thinking, we're in a very remote jungle in Thailand, just so I can go photograph these people. And no one knows where we are. I mean, you know, <laughs> could never have been found. The um, Lord knew where you were. He knew that, your exact GPS, and he and took I, care of you on that elephant. <laughs> oh, he's always taking care of me because I do these things out of just, oh, yes, let's go do this. 
And um, it was so incredible to have that experience. But those particular ones were uh, in the National Geographic, were the ones with the rings around their neck. It's called the Ring of the Long Neck Tribe. And those particular pictures are were in a National Geographic that I had seen. So I was play-liking that I was a National Geographic photographer. Hey. I go on this elephant. <laughs> so, Jen, I don't do anything normally. <laughs> but, no, you live your life like, so in 2014, I created a bucket list. Uh-huh. Because I had been, you know, so shy. Oh. Did not have a lot of life experiences. And there were so many things that my mom and I would talk about uh-huh. that we wished that we could do while we sat at her kitchen table. Uh-huh. And so on the year after she passed away, I sat there and I wrote a bucket list on the on that night. You know, I'm going to do this in honor of her. I'm going to live the rest of my life, like, completely out loud, on purpose. Oh. And I'm going to do these things that I've always wanted to do. And so you live that that kind of bucket list growth mindset mentality. Well, it, it, was, it was funny because when my husband said that, you know, he wanted to go to Korea and work for Lockheed and he accepted a long-term assignment, I was totally not in favor of it. I did not want to leave my family and my friends. And I just was not. So my intention was to go over there and find him a home. And then I would come back and then I would go back and forth. Hmm. Well, that <laughs> so well, it's a lot farther than I realized. Mm-hmm. And once I landed I cried the whole 16 hours on the plane. And since I've cried very rarely in my life, uh, I don't think my husband had ever seen me cry. That particular part of my emotions was shut down evidently as a child, very young. And so I'm not a crier, but I sat on that plane and cried for 16 hours as we're over the water. And when we land in Korea, I am just devastated. But, Oh, what God did. Mm -hmm. He put a camera in my hands and there were beautiful, vivid uh, festivities and there was so much color and the people were so welcoming and we only could communicate in bows and nods and everything, but they were so Oh, they would just put their arms around us. And because my husband had white hair, they respect white haired gentlemen very much. An older gentleman, you know, he's bowed to very deeply. So he loved it. I mean, this was not, (laughs) this was not what he was used to. So it was a really wonderful experience. And from there, uh, then I went to Thailand and to Hong Kong, we did, and got to enjoy that and Japan. So look what God had in mind. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I had no idea. So that's why I just trust God to lead me. He knows where he's going with this. He knows where the book will go. And he knows my energy level. And he knows that I can only, you know, uh, can only sit there 10 hours at a time, uh, you know, and then I have to take breaks. So you're typing 10 hours? I will type 10 hours. Yes. Oh, I am. Okay. I know thou shalt not covet. That is such a... (laughs) That is a great amount of time. It is a great amount of time. I do it day after day. I read. Oh. 
eyes. And then I, by the end of the week, uh, I really can only do that for maybe three days. Because it's emotionally draining. It, oh, you nailed it. Who knew? I, I didn't know that. You know? <laughs> but as because I you're, walk, putting, you're putting all of your mental energies oh, yes. into this work. Oh, I hope your listeners are listening if they've never written a book or if they're well into it because I didn't know this. And uh, yes, and the sad parts, they grieve you so. And you cry. Now, I cry at my own sad parts. I do too. And I'm not a crier. And I cry twice in this book. And I know what's coming and it still brings the tears. But I didn't know what was coming. Uh Uh-huh. And when my aunt read it, my, I love my aunt Dot. You're going to hear me talk about my aunt Dot the rest of my life. Okay. That's my mama's sister. Okay. And my aunt Dot, she loves Nora Roberts. She's read every single book from Nora Roberts. And oh. she said one of the things she loves about her is that when she gets to the point where she just can't figure out what's going to happen next and then she gets surprised. Uh-huh. That's my Aunt Dot saying she hasn't found many writers that can do that for her. And she was like, you got me. You got me with Sweet Potato. You oh. shocked me. I had no clue. And and it's like those crying moments because you're so invested in the lives of these characters. Oh, oh, they're real. I yes. mean, mm-hmm. Well, I have based all of my characters on real people. Well, I think that we take little pieces of ourselves and put in characters, yes. people that we've met, strangers. Yes. And then that's what shapes a well-rounded, balanced, and beautiful creature of a, you know, a protagonist or an antagonist or, yeah. or the, all of our characters because yeah. they are like a, a quilt. I look at them like a quilt, like my grandma's quilt. I think you're right. Very much so. And it's it's beautifully stitched together and I love it. And yeah, I think I totally agree with you. And so 10 hours a day by the end of the week, you're like, whoo. Yes. And then I may do that two weeks out of a month. I'll put, take a week off and then I'll go back to it. It's not that strenuous now. I am not in that um, part of it now. I'm far, you know, I'm getting close to, I'm, I've done the edits. I've done many, so many edits. But have you heard of the book, The First Five Pages? No, but I'm going to Google it like right now. Okay, Noah Lukeman. And the reason why I say that is because I read where after you edit, you do the, uh, you go, you read this book and it will advise you on what to do. And it, is absolutely awesome because I thought I was through. It had been formatted everything. I went in, had some more inspiration, changed some things, and then I read this book and I was blown away. And then I did what it said and it made it so much better. So I do advise that for the writers that you don't want to do it until you to be finished or, you know, got that big first draft ready or wherever you are uh, in the stage, but you want to have a pretty good handle on your manuscript when you do it and read it because then you just go back and you hack and you hack and you revise and, oh, it gets better. 
So, and I, I think this is the kind of book that I need, even for myself as I'm going forward. Oh, because yeah. what I found with myself, so like I have like ten novels that are just eagerly waiting uh-huh. on my computer. Mm-hmm. And I love each and every one of them. And now that I've removed myself from all of them, having a book like this yes. and being able to go back in yes. can help me shape it up to that pristine place. So that way, when I am doing that query, which now I know you know what that word means, you're oh, using yeah. that. Um, you know, when I do go out there and query and approach my publisher, you know, with these works, you know, please pick up this next one, please, please. You know, I yes. want it to be in the best condition possible. Yes. Because I did feel that sweet potato was raw. Uh-huh. Because I was so close to her. Mm-hmm. That it was really hard for me to, like you said, hack away. Yeah. Even with time spent away from her, when I went back in and I met her again after all of those years of her still being in my mind and in my heart, that was difficult for me. Yes. And, And thank the Lord, I have been given a wonderful editor with the publishing company who really helped me shape what needed to be shaped. That's good. And this, I think this book will help you in the future. Uh, Yeah, I I need, I know I just need to have that as a strength. I need to do better. And, and, you know, we always have to say, what is an area of weakness? And I think that I can address that because we can always pick an area and then build from that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. And, um, you know, when I stepped into the, his shoes and began telling it from his viewpoint, um, I didn't think twice, but then I ran across an article recently that was so perfect, and I'd love to share it with uh, you and the readers. Oh, uh, please, please. Uh, this is my tip for the day. <laughs> well, Go. More, <laughs> tip, more tips than one in this, but Diane, uh, Diana Foe, P-H-O, wrote this article, and the title of it was, Can Authors Write Characters Whose Experience is Outside of Their Own? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I need this article. Let's go. Okay. And of course, you know, I didn't think twice when I jumped in his shoes and I put on that uh, suit and I was the pilot. But anyway, yes, this. So I said, yes, of course. But being able to effectively write from the experience of other requires more than just strong ability, she says, but also a level of awareness about yourself and your role as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. She says, I knew that, uh, no, the article went on to say, it's a matter of doing so respectfully and responsibly while asking ourselves as creators and authors, what mindset do we have when we are looking to add other experiences to our work? We can either be an invader, a tourist, or a guest. Have oh. you ever heard of these terms? No, but oh. it's that is very well crafted because oh. I can identify. Yeah, I can identify with that. Okay, here number one, the invader writes without any regard for the feelings of the community or the responsibilities in representing them. They arrive without warning, take whatever they want for use in whatever way they see it. Theirs is a position of entitlement without allegiance. So in my case, that would be writing a story about the Navy uh, 
without knowing anything, without learning anything. So, you know, because that is a whole community, the military, that I had to get educated on. And but, they have their own language, their own nuances. Oh. My daddy's retired military. My husband was in the military. We're Army family. And so yes. I understand that, yeah. and, that you had to do that and with the research in mind, too. And then translate into what, you know, to the civilians, uh, for those readers who are non-military. Right. But the writers who act as tourists are a step up from the invaders. Tourists acknowledge they are outsiders. And as this term applies, tourists can act positively or negatively, just as tourists do in real life. Mm -hmm. A respectful tourist embodies qualities such as the ability to ask questions from experts when help is needed. And a negative example is kind of like someone on spring break gone bad. The (laughs) assumption that one can instantly gain expertise through limited time, or experience and showing superficial knowledge in a very self-important way. Mm-hmm. So a tourist is someone with insider knowledge, familiar connections and trust, and has a level of authenticity. And craft a writer as can strive for, but the term guest is a status that must be given to them by the community they wish to represent. No one can assume to be a guest, but must be invited or Mm -hmm. welcomed as one. Lovely. And she said, know yourself and your limitations. To effectively write from that experience of others requires more than a strong ability, but also a level of awareness about yourself and your role as a storyteller. It's a writer's job to enter someone else's head. Mm -hmm. And she goes on and says, to do your research, then do research on your research. Use trusted experts to inform you along with, I use libraries and in my case, I did on-site visits. I watched actual uh, footage Mm -hmm. of the planes uh, landing, taking off in war. I did all of that. YouTube has really opened up the research world. Yes, and I lived and breathed the life. I mean, that's just all the details involved. And so that was what enabled me to kind of keep going, was getting more enmeshed in it. But -hmm. number three, she said, give some sensitivity. um, Get some sensitivity readers, ones that evaluate authenticity and can flag any possible incorrect or damaging elements. Sweet potato. Oh, are you here? I just want to make sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. It it had like a little pause. I want to make sure. Um, Sweet potato is going through a sensitivity read right now with my publishing company. Oh, good. So they're taking care of that aspect. And I did have beta readers before who went through. Oh, good. um, To help, you know, give me their opinions, make sure that, um, you know, I was being respectful Sure. But did have you went through the beta reader process yet? Have you let that's anybody next, else read your work? Next, that's my next step. I don't even know how to start. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you who my beta readers were way back in the day. Because I, I told you I just, I was so timid about this whole process. It was my mama, my aunt, and my niece. Now, you can see these are three people that are very close to me and that they're all going to say, oh, that's just the best thing since sliced bread. Yes. 
And so then I had to realize later when this was becoming real and it was like right in front of me. No, I actually have to get (laughs) um, beta readers that, you know, are representative of, you know, the culture that can talk with me through this and can give me critiques and Uh feedback. Yes. So, so yeah, I had to, I had to break away from my small family circle. Yes, I've done that. I've, I've, um, I've had the people close to me to read it and now I'm ready for, or I'm almost ready to send it to the people who don't know me. And so I look forward to that, but it, she goes on to say after the sensitivity readers, um, realize your story is still your responsibility, not anyone else's. You are responsible for addressing their criticisms. And she said, so, you know, in that um, community that you're representing, it's up to own that. And it's, she said, it's an act of courage to put your book out into the world, no matter what your background. Mm-hmm. It's also an act of deep understanding and respect to write the other well and the poet um nikki giovanni summed it up best writers don't write from experience writers write from empathy oh don't you love it so i love that that's my tip for you pros out there (laughs) probably know all of this oh whatever let me tell you how how we are all on this journey Yes. And I'm on Twitter one day and I see the word, you know, what's your whip? How is your whip doing? W-I-P. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> what are these people talking about? And, I'm, and I go straight to music in my head. You know that because you're on my launch tapes. You already know, like I've already made the soundtrack for Sweet Potato. I love that. And it's like, I'm thinking, whip it, whip it good. You remember that old <laughs> Devo song and they have those crazy red hats on the videos from the 80s? I had to Google that mess to see what a whip was. And I said, we're all a work in progress. What are these people trying to trip me up for? <laughs> like, we are. Like, Yes, we are. We're yes. all a work in progress. It doesn't matter, like, what, you know, what stage. The thing is, is that we have the ability now to share our progress. Oh, oh, yes. And, to and, share where we are in, uh, with that authentic voice and in that place. And we can say, you know what? It's okay. We're here. Yes. And, and, you know, I I tried to get out of doing this podcast with you because I said, Jim, I've never even listened to a podcast and I'm not published. I don't know anything. I have no knowledge. And you insisted. And then I realized when God kind of spoke that all of us have started. And I'm a beginner. I am a novice. Um, you know, and that there are those in your audience as well as those who are extremely professional. So I think we all are on that journey, just at different places. And I think that your ability to them say, okay, I'm going to do this. Let's, you know, the power of connecting with other people though, because your story can inspire another person that's out there hopefully my story can inspire someone that's out there and say you know what you know I can't I can't hide this you know these stories are knocking on you know on my brain to the point where it it like hurts you not to be able to tell their story yes 
Yes, I, I, I couldn't put this down. Whether it's, um, well, I keep thinking about the military, the people in Afghanistan or wherever they are. If they could pick up a Christian romance book with full of military jargon and, and so forth, you know, I mean, it kind of the life is touched on as much as the, but also very much a love story. Um, you know, that is what, it, just different people will, if they get it in their hands and it has faith in it. And, and so, you know, that hopefully will touch their lives, give them a few hours of reading pleasure and uh, keep them going, you know. And or, give them, a, it's planting a seed and it's giving them something that you never know how it could change them later. Uh, true. Oh my that goodness. one line, that one scene you know, that's what I'm praying about with Sweet Potato, because uh-huh. I have a very strong Christian character in Sweet Potato. She is the owner of the soul food restaurant, uh-huh. and she's instrumental in helping this family get on their feet. Uh-huh. And even if, you know, even if they don't have a Christian background and they're picking up this book and this is a YA book and it can get in the hands of, you know, anyone, it's not going to say it's a YA fiction. Yeah. And they say, oh that somebody I could I could really learn from this lady Uh this I could learn from this I can go out now and I can volunteer or maybe I can look at someone as a person instead of as holding a sign I mean I think of all of the things that our work can do to help inspire other people and that's what keeps me going oh well that's so lofty I I just I just hope I can. I because hope. if we think of the criticism, you know, there was something that you read in that article. Like, we're going to possibly get that. Oh, yes. Yes. We have to be held accountable if they, you know, if if we didn't uh, portray them in the right light or the accuracy. Uh, but I, since, oh, my goodness, the accuracy on mine is not from me, but it is from my advisor. Right. And so when you have one that lives it and walks and talks it. So, but. Um, and then you have the ultimate guide of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Sealing this up. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And then, uh, and then, of course, I love the romance part of it. Right. When their unforgettable love is ignited. Oh, my goodness. You know, I just had so much fun writing that. But it has a lot of suspense in it. So. Oh, I cannot wait, Miss Kay. I cannot wait. Thank you. Thank you. Now, do you want me to touch on another part that I hope will be inspiring to those who have um, dealt with some issues in life that are pretty severe? I have been asked to give a speech to a church, and it's going to be called, uh, or it is called, Defying the Odds. And early on, you said, would you tell us about you? And the bio covered that, you know, I'm a mom and I'm a grandmother and I just love life and, and all the adventures that we're doing. But what I didn't want to go into at that point was this, this little talk I'm going to give. And I can give you a little excerpt from that because it, it kind of takes you on a journey that I've been on. This is why I took up writing because mm-hmm. I am isolated pretty much from people. And so this will explain a little bit about it. You want me to do that? I would love to, Miss Kay. Okay. 
uh, I'm going to tell about how God has worked my life and how he put people in my life to service, serve his purpose and how the storms of life have been overshadowed by all the blessings. I've seen firsthand how God is intentional. He is loving, purposeful, and sovereign over our lives. But after being sick, this was many years ago, after being sick for almost a year and no one could find it after I go to doctor after doctor, I was eventually referred to the Dallas Cowboys doctor. He discovered a few things, but feeling there was more, he asked if I'd be willing to go on a rare food diet, which meant eating one food at a time and journaling the effect. Mm -hmm. Many of you may have done that out there. I was nine months into that program when air freshener was put in my car air conditioner and it almost took my life. I, it was a regular routine with my husband. No one expected it. But I was, uh, I, when I turned it on that afternoon, uh, I became lifeless. I barely made it home. And so I called the Dallas Cowboys doctor, and he sent me to another team of doctors in Dallas as an emergency case. And when I got to the new place, I was feeling so optimistic. I thought, okay, we know foods are my enemy because out of all the foods I had tried, 57 total, I could only eat four. Now, this was, oh. before, this was before the catering days. But I could only eat four. And so for nine months, I ate four foods. But I walked into this place all full of hope. I dressed up. I was ready to meet the new doctor. And immediately, I was horrified when I saw the people in the waiting room. They appeared drained of life. Some were on oxygen. Some were on IVs. They were uh, unable to walk without assistance. And all of them were as pale as ghosts. Some spoke different languages. They had come from South America, New Zealand, other places around the world. All were there because it was a last resort. And I thought, surely I'm at the wrong place. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd, I thought, okay, I'm going to meet this doctor. And he is going to say, oh, no, you don't need to be here. These are, this is for the severe. But I went ahead with that initial meeting testing, and I returned a week later to get the results. And the pleasant-looking doctor spoke very deliberately and cautiously. And he said, we've had people come in as bad as you are. And there was a pause, but they weren't walking. And I said, what do you mean they weren't walking? They came in on stretchers. Mm. Ed. All I could do was recall the people I'd seen in the waiting room. And I thought they weren't even stre on stretchers. And am I worse than them? And it was horrible. I just stared at him in disbelief. And he went on to gravely add, I don't know if you will live. There's the excerpt. Oh, my. That is part of the speech I'm going to give. And that was over, um, let me see. It's been about 30 years. I have defied God has defied mm -hmm. all things and has, but everything from going to Korea and everything. I was homebound uh, 
for four months. I mean, no, excuse me. For four months, I was in bed on oxygen, barely alive. And no one could come in our house with perfume, hairspray, or any of that on. And I was nearly dead, but I didn't know it. And so I put a vision board on the bedroom wall. And on it were pictures of like, that I took out of magazines, like little grand, little children, and those represented the grandchildren I wanted to live to see, oh. and a trip destinations so that my husband and I could do this, uh, to go places, and my children on there, every, and the church people, all of it, it was all there, and I loved to deck, uh, to de- entertain and I love to decorate the dining tables and all of that so I would have pictures of that on there because one day I wanted to be able to entertain again Mm -hmm. and finally after being housebound wearing this horrific mask and um I don't know if any in your audience might remember the bubble boy in Houston yes yeah Mm -hmm. I was the bubble and that was my life Every, we were remodeling the home when I was going through testing, and the doctor said, stop what you are doing. You have to tell your husband this. Stop the remodeling. Stop the painting. Stop the carpet from being shipped. And let me back up a little bit. When the doctor told me that I may not live, he said, how is your husband handling this? I said, not well, because I didn't look sick at that point. No one looked at me. I still put on my makeup, did all the stuff. They couldn't tell I was sick. It was all internal. I was allergic to everything I was breathing and coming in contact with. I had no immune system. But that doesn't show, you know, it didn't show on that side. Right. Uh, So people thought it was, you know, kind of in my head. And um, that's a horrific thing to have to deal with. But you do, and I still do. But anyway, with that, We went in there, my husband and I, and we had not been married very long. This was a new marriage. He had lost his first wife to an illness. And so this was not going well. And we had only been married about a year. And he was 14 years older. So he thought he was going to have this young caregiver in his older years, you know. And And I thought, that's okay. That's good. And But I took him into the doctor, and the doctor talked to him and explained to him what was happening. And then the doctor, I met with the doctor by myself afterwards, a few days later, to get his take on it. And as he assessed it, he leaned over the desk, and he folded his arms and folded his hands, put them on the desk, and he said, I don't know if you can live and stay married at the same time. Those Defying were, the odds. Yeah, <laughs> it was so devastating. He knew that his attitude and his, at that point, his understanding of it was not there. Mm. It just wasn't there. Strong Christian man, a wonderful man. But he had lost one wife. Right. And he didn't want to go through that again. I don't blame him. You had that empathy. You talk about that empathy of a writer. You had that empathy, though. Oh, yeah. So so sure enough, when the um, so it, 
we, you know, ended up, I did a catering business, then we moved to Korea, and there are times that I still, uh, you know, almost lose my life, happened many times when I was living on the island, it happened, but because I was making trips, oh, okay, let me back up a little bit, real briefly, I um, got very, very sick after he died, I had been a caretaker, caregiver to both parents and to him for 15 years, and uh, it was so intense Mm -hmm. that I lost my immune system again, and this was in 2010, So the doctor said, I almost died on the freeway because of breathing the fumes. I got into a big traffic jam, the worst in Fort Worth history, and I couldn't get out of it. And there were 18 wheelers on every side of me and I couldn't get to the exit. And so I, I knew I was in trouble and a girl that I went through testing with did die in this situation. And she was 25 years old Mm -hmm. uh, because the chemicals invading the body can't be thrown off quickly enough. It attacks the organs. And if your immune system, my immune system was shot. I didn't realize it, but I knew I wasn't feeling well after my husband died and I couldn't get my energy back. But anyway, when that happened, I went to see the doctor eventually. And he said, you have to leave Texas. You have to leave and go where there's clean air Uh, to the mountains or to the ocean and don't come back. If you want to live, you have to leave. And I, I thought, where in the world will I go? And I took the computer and I stared at the, the um, screen crying and begging God to show me where I should go. And then at that point, a guy on Facebook that I knew in high school contacted me. I told him what I was doing. He came up with the place and God used him. Mm. And that is amazing to me. We had been in a play our junior year in high school. I didn't really like the guy, but, you know, we're grown, we're adults. We're at the end of our life now and here, you know, and he was very enjoyable and it was very nice to catch up. And then when he began searching, he gave me the tidbit on where to go. So I went to Whidbey Island, Washington, and it was Garden of Eden, most pristine, beautiful place I had ever seen in my life. And God put me there to heal. And, but I couldn't, I still couldn't get well enough to, uh, to live in Texas. Every trip made me sick and I almost died on a runway where the, we were in a backup where for 45 minutes, we sat there with the fumes filling the aircraft and I knew I was in trouble. Mm. There wasn't anything, you know, I could do. So this is kind of the journey and where I am now is, uh, I did move back to Texas. It took five years. I thought I'd be gone three months. I, it took five years. I got well enough to come back, but I'm not, it, it, it just does not work for me to be around people. I can't breathe perfume, cologne, or any of that. And everybody just douses themselves with it in these days. It's like, they feel like that's got to be the new thing. You yeah. Know? And so I can't go to church. I do it on the internet. All of this has been a huge adjustment. But what did God do? He gave you writing. He gave me writing. He He gave gave you a purpose. He gave me a purpose to get up in the morning and something to be excited about Mm -hmm. everything. Because for me to even get out on the freeway to go see my children is a challenge. And when I fly, 
I know that that could be my last trip. And so everything I do is very deliberate and I don't stop living. There are things that I think, okay, if this is when God's going to take me, he's going to take me and I'm ready, but I'm going to, I'm going to try it. <laughs> right. And so your words preserving yesterday for tomorrow yes. is my passion. Yes, 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 very much so. Mm-hmm. Because we aren't going to be live forever. And then, you know, I love uh, preserving memories. And so that's yes. why the photography was so much in my blood because I was able to, you know, preserve memories for that or for generations after I'm gone. And now there's a book and God mm-hmm. did that. And God put that character in my head that day when I was making my bed. Cause I kept saying, God, I don't know what I'd write about. What do you think? You know, and, everything. And, all, <laughs> and God said, Oh, here's one. Yeah. Take this and run with it. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll, and I kept asking him that because I kept being encouraged by, I couldn't hear anything. And then when that character came in, I knew, I knew it was time. Mm-hmm. I'd been gone by that time. I'd been gone three years and God said, okay, I'll give you something to do. And I was in, when I moved to Boulder, Colorado, I just loved it. I left Whidbey Island after two years, spent three years in Boulder, and I spent my senior year in high school there. So it was a wonderful, wonderful journey. And then I came home, and we are out of time. <laughs> oh, but I will, I will tell you, though, what's, like, what's your timeline? Like, do you have a timeline in your head where you say, by this certain time, I want the book to be in Jennifer's hands? Because that's, that's <laughs> what, I, so that's my little selfish question that I'm going to end us with is like, like, <laughs> what's next? Like, I'm ready to read that's the Christian what, romance. Oh, that's what everyone says. And you're so sweet. You want me to give you a little recap of it? And as far as a timeline, that's what everyone says. And I know because I have lived by um, instinct for so many years now, over 30 years with this illness, I do everything on instinct. I don't do it until God says it's ready. It's time. It's, so, and I know when it's time. I will know when it's time. Right now I'm refining some places. Uh, I keep uh, being told or running across an article just like that one I just shared with you. Um, and those things are helping me. But when God, when I look at it and say, okay, it's, it's time. Uh, I'll know he will plant that so strongly in me. I mm-hmm. will get the process. And but so the- that means all my listeners need to now go follow you. Oh. So that way, when you make the announcement, we're yeah. all going to be <laughs> joyfully clapping I- and going, hooray for Kay. And oh. now it's our turn. Let's get this book. Approaching, <laughs> I feel sure that, or I feel pretty certain that if all goes well, we'll be a- able to say, uh, "Let's go to the query now, and let's start this journey and everything." But you know, changing it to his shoes, putting it in uh, him being the narrator and the protagonist at the same time—that really didn't occur till January of this year. I just remembered that. So that, that, that was a big change. Uh, but it is a celebration of committed love, not mm-hmm. confined to age, time, or distance. And it's layered with romantic suspense and the pain of loss and generational love with buried secrets. Oh, 
just it, the kind of book that I need. It it focuses on the twists and turns of romance between this guy, Navy guy, Drew Bartlett, and then he uh, and Hope Madison. And when they meet, this l- unforgettable love is, is ignited. But he's a naval officer. Uh, cadet at the University of Colorado, and he's on the verge of realizing his lifelong dream, serving his country as a commissioned officer and pilot. And when he meets her, and immediately following his departure for the Navy, Drew vanishes without any explanation, and Hope is forced to go on with her life. Mm-hmm. Neither can forget the other. So there you go. That's oh, coming. That's good. good. I hope so. I hope, I hope so. I really hope people enjoy it. Well, I've enjoyed you, Miss Kay. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you so much. I didn't think we would have time for all of that, but now you know me pretty much inside now. <laughs> I, I live a very unusual life um, in terms of being more isolated than than most people but um and doing god's work for the kingdom i really really you are thank you thank you you. really are you are being such a sister in christ to me oh thank you you are too (laughs) so don't don't ever say well you know what can i do you're you're doing your service exactly where god's planted you now I really do feel that. I feel that if uh, if God, what I've learned through this journey, and I wouldn't trade anything for it, because what I had to do when I got up to Whidbey Island, I had to absolutely depend on him for every single thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have friends. I didn't have any, I didn't have a support system. I just lost my husband a few months earlier and I was totally alone except for God. And he took me on this journey. And I know this is about to cut off, but I will tell you this <laughs> thing. When I was living in a rent house there and I knew it was time to move because I wanted a different location, this realtor said, I, I have one that has your name written all over it. And I thought, how does he know? Because I just met him. And he took me to this house in Jen. He opened the door and I almost fell to my knees. It was almost an exact duplicate of my home in, in Fort Worth. See how God, God provided even God, what he knew you needed as an emotional comfort and a physical space at the same yes. time yes mm-hmm. and he, the very same afghan draped on my sofa in fort worth was draped on that one on whidbey island and i walked into the bedroom and i knew god had not left a stone unturned that was the same identical four poster bed see and that it, is god that is god's doing every bit every bit that is god. and so when you see that and i was just beginning that journey but because my life depends on instinct and knowing that I'm in a, you know, about to enter a dangerous thing for me uh, as far as breathing. And then I know I've relied on him because for my life I've had, right. I mean, it's not normal to be this dependent, uh, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Mm. Oh, I would. And, you know, I, course I pray about every single thing I'm about to do and I ask and I just we just have an ongoing conversation and he and he said when I turned you down the first time he was going "Mm -mm, no no good (laughs) because somebody out there now I needed to hear it so if it's just for me then then you've done your part but I truly believe that there is somebody out there thank you 
that will be inspired by your story. Well, it's it, anyone in dire circumstances or in uh, lack of health and, you know, going through these things. Um, it, I hope this gives them hope. I what's, your, what's your go-to Bible verse? Like, what's your favorite Bible oh, verse? Oh, there are so many, but I did pick out one. And this one I live by, but it's Jeremiah 29, 11. Oh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> The plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I claimed that when I went to Whidbey Island in 2010, and uh, it is the verse I still claim every single day. And I know that the things that I'm not able to do are the people I'm not able to be with. If God doesn't open that door again, it wasn't meant to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Would you would you love to pray for our listeners? I know that um, when I asked you to begin praying for them, you know, I pray for them every day. Yes. And I would just love it if you could pray for everyone out there today. Yes. Heavenly Father, we come to you filled with gratitude as we approach your throne. Thank you, Lord, for your divine providence in bringing all of us together. For Jen and the wonderful way she shares her faith story her love for you and for your people. You have gifted her, Lord, with a passion to gather writers together, and we praise you for this community. God, you know our every need before we ever ask. You know our every struggle. You know our hopes, our dreams, and the plans you have for our future. We know you go before us and you smooth the path So, Lord, may each listener in this podcast feel your presence in their lives. May you breathe grace and victory into their adversities and So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day. If you're looking for my challenge devotionals on Amazon, go right on over and type in Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry and you'll see my 30-day everyday mom challenge, my 30-day teacher challenge, fingerprint curriculum for my homeschool families, and one that's closest to my heart is the Happy Renewal Year Challenge devotional. I dare you to go and check them out today. You can also find that they're on Kindle Unlimited because I want you guys to have access. I often put them up for free uh, promotional items. I'll do countdowns. Um, So that way you can grab one. You can gift them with a friend. You can share them out on your sites. And people can go on this journey with us. In December of 2019, look out for the release of my author challenge devotional. I'm looking forward to that one and sharing it with you.